Cook County, Illinois, is one of the slowest counties in the nation when it comes to solving homicide cases. A new investigation looks at why. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. The Sixth Amendment to the Constitution says you have the right to a speedy trial. In Illinois, a defendant's right to a speedy trial is defined as taking place within four months of being taken into custody. But in Cook County, most people accused of murder are waiting more than four years for their cases to go to trial. That's one of the key findings from a Chicago Tribune investigation out this week called Stalled Justice. Reporters examined why the county has some of the slowest homicide cases in the nation and how years-long delays harm the accused, their families, victims' families, and even taxpayers. We talked to Tribune reporters Megan Cropo and Joe Marr. Megan, you write that murder defendants in Cook County are now typically spending, quote, longer than a presidential term waiting in jail. And that's just for their trial to start. That's a long, long time. What happens during that period? It depends on what you're looking at, right? If you're looking at the actual time spent in court, not much. Generally, we see uh, the attorneys, the defendants, potentially some victims' family members come into court for these very brief hearings, minute or two, say, all right, you know, come back next month and then we're done. And that happens regularly. Uh, It it happens for years and years and years, Mm -hmm. and it can really wear on people who make that giant trek to the courthouse only to have to leave and come back for not much else later on. I mean, what we're seeing sort of under the surface is that every segment, every phase of a case has the opportunity to get delayed on the most nuts and bolts level, and that just compounds and compounds and compounds. Mm. Joe, delays in murder cases, they're worse here in Cook County than in every other court system that people have studied. That includes Philadelphia and includes the Bronx. By how much? And what do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, one of the difficult things is studying court systems across the country because not a lot of people do it, unfortunately. Um, But what we are seeing in the one national study that was done, um, they looked at all those jurisdictions you mentioned, um, and, and obviously some, some big ones too, right? The right. Bronx, you know, the, all the boroughs. Um, and, you know, when we look at the boroughs, they were, when we did comparable data for Cook County, the boroughs were four times faster by this one metric that they measure by. And, and it's just, um, you know, astounding. Mm. What it told me is that we're the worst in the nation. Is that a fair assumption? From the best we can tell, we're the worst in the nation, yeah. Before we go any further, Megan, I want you to explain why people are held in the Cook County Jail before they go to trial. Well, uh, the very first court appearance that you make after you're charged with a crime is generally going to be bond court. That's the place where a judge decides whether to let your let you out, what, you know, let you out after paying bail, or let you out on your own recognizance. Or the judges have the right to keep you in on a high money bond. Or generally, for these murder cases, it's no bond. You are in until someone can argue you out mm-hmm. or until your case is resolved. So lay out the scope of your investigation for us, Joe, because this is the first of its kind, right? Yeah, exactly. And what we wanted to do is we wanted to figure out, number one, how long cases are taking. And you would think that would be an easy thing, right? You would think that there'd be some website you can go to with the court system and they would have stats that you could use. And there is none, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, it's a black hole. Uh, we were lucky enough that State's Attorney Kim Fox's office does put out raw data that we could use and crunch this. We had to write, not the average person can't really do it. You have to write code to do it. But we did it, and we were able to first document, number one, 
that these that these cases are going on longer than ever, right? Mm-hmm. That you know, 20 years ago, most murders were cases were were finished in two years, two years or less. And before the pandemic, it had crept up to four years. Now it's five, right? That's one part of the scope that we wanted to tell. But the other part we really wanted to tell was how it affects people, um, you know, from both perspectives, right? You have victims' families. Yeah. And I think Megan had mentioned this, just the challenge of they go into the system. You know, not a lot of people really know the courthouse, you know, unless you are doing business in there. A lot of people may not even know where it's at. You know, it's in, tucked in a little village, not in the loop. Right. You know, unless you're driving by there, you might not even notice it. Um, but um, we wanted to be able to tell people who aren't familiar with this this place kind of just how difficult it can be for victims' families. So you, yeah. so, so you, so you go in there and you basically, like Megan had mentioned, just the pain of not knowing when there's going to be resolution, of, of walking in there and having hearing after hearing where there's delay. That's one aspect of it, right, uh, where you can't really get that closure. The other aspect are the defendants, right? These are people who are presumed innocent. Um, and... They are stuck in a system where you had mentioned, you know, we have the speedy trial concept, right? Where if you read the law, you might come away thinking, boy, four months, they got to get rid of this case. But that's they not got, the case. That's not the case at all, right? Because the way the law is written is there's so many loopholes in it that invariably it allows the system to keep people month after month, year after year after year. And what yeah. does that do to them, right? What does that do to them? You know, statistically, four out of five are going to be found guilty eventually, right? But there's the other fifth, Right. And then even for the people who are found guilty, what does it do to you when you are stuck in this limbo year after year after year? Mm-hmm. And when we talked to the sheriff's office and they had mentioned just the behavioral problems that happen, you know, if we put ourselves in that situation of being in that jail year after year after year and not knowing when your fate's going to be decided. You know. Yeah. And we'll dig more into to some of those impacts, including what what happens to, to victims and their families later in this conversation. I mean, some of the research you did, you filed three dozen record requests. You, you poured over more than 40 case files. You attended more than 1,000 uh, hearings, interviewed courthouse attorneys, a lot here. And you focused on murder cases mostly here. Why was that, Megan? Uh, I think in part because they are some of the most serious cases around, right? Um, they're going to have, they're going to be the most complicated and they're going to have the most impact on the the people who are kind of living through them, right? Yeah. It's definitely more likely that you will be, for example, locked up pre-trial if you're facing a murder charge as opposed to a lesser charge. So the effects are more tangible and I think more serious. Advocates around the country, they're saying murder trials should start no more than one year after a person's taken into custody. Now, in Cook County, we know the goal is two years. We're not even meeting that, right? So why is the bar set so low? Help us understand that. And why is Cook County failing to meet the mark by such a wide margin? You know, I think the reason that this has been going on for so long is that there's not really one specific root cause. There are a lot of different smaller causes that build up on each other over the years. And there's not really one necessarily really one entity that's responsible for these delays, right? Mm. I think about the courthouse as sort of situated at the center of a lot of very different overlapping bureaucracies, right, that are going to have their own ways of doing things and their own interests and don't always necessarily work together. Um, and, And so that's, I think, a recipe for a very slow moving, a very uh, difficult to change system. Does Mm -hmm. that make sense? It does. I mean, and I'm thinking back to some of the 
uh, some of what Joe said earlier and, and what sticks out is that Cook County never really put a comprehensive system in place to monitor and document why the delays occur. Right. And, and I think that's part of why we needed to go so deeply into, you know, our sample of individual cases. And we needed to interview so many people because there's not like one comprehensive way that we found of any internal entity documenting why these delays happen. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to talking about some of the players involved, Joe. So at the top, we've got Chief Judge Timothy Evans. What control does he have over how long it can take for the, the a case to be heard? And, and what did he have to say about the delays? Yeah, well, he has um, a, a pretty good amount of control, um, you know, and we're going to get into that more in, a, in another part of the series that we're going to write about on Sunday. Okay. Uh, but um, he has he has the ability to assign judges, number one, and that's an immense power, right? If you're a judge and and, and you don't want to work traffic court or you don't, whatever you don't want to do, right, um, you know, you want to be in his good graces, right? So he could say, this is the way I want it done, um, you know, and he also has the power to help shape court rules. He can help try to get court rules changed, you know, um, to say, this is the way we're going to do it. Um, but we're not seeing that, right? Mm-hmm. And Megan, I want to go back to Joe's mention earlier of the the, uh, Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox's office, right? Her office, they acknowledge the delays, but they said that prosecutors are often waiting on records from law enforcement. So can you just explain that? And so what extent is it a problem of of sharing records and what role does CPD play here? Oh, that's a great question. And actually, um, we go pretty deep into that in a store that's going to run tomorrow where we try to go a little bit into more detail about some of the root causes. But The very first phase of a case is called discovery. And at that point, uh, the prosecutors and the defense need to share with each other all the potential evidence that might have any kind of relevance to the case going forward. Mm -hmm. Um, In other jurisdictions, I mean, what we were told is that a judge was really raised their eyebrows if discovery is incomplete within like six months, right? Cook County, it can take years, years. I mean, the uh, Office of the Inspector General in Chicago has found that the mechanisms by which Chicago police turn over records to prosecutors is, is I mean, it's a shambles, right? Wow. And that leaves attorneys sending subpoena after subpoena just to get basic records. And that's not even considering, for example, the role of the Illinois State Police, which is because they do all of the forensic testing for DNA. Why are we and so ballistics. far off? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I, I think that's an excellent question. I think that's... It, it's uh, just yeah. mind-boggling. What did you hear from Cook County Sheriff Tom Dart's office, Joe? Yeah, well, and, and uh, Sheriff Dart has a unique perspective because he's the one, he's the person his office has to house all these he's, people, right? He's running the county yeah, jail where exactly, these people right? are waiting for trial. And, and he's been there a while, and he's seen the population get out of control before when there was too many people that weren't getting cases through. It's it's less now because of other reasons, including bail reform. But his point of view is that, you know, he is a former prosecutor. He's a former state lawmaker. Now he's been sheriff for a while. He's seen this from a lot of different perspectives. And he just feels like there aren't people taking this issue seriously enough. Mm. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We're talking about a new Chicago Tribune investigation that found years-long delays for trials to start in Cook County. Some people accused of murder, they're waiting in custody for four, five, and even ten years until their trial begins. Our guests are Tribune Enterprise reporter Megan Cropo, and she covers city violence and criminal justice. Also here, Tribune investigative reporter Joe Marr. So I want to take a moment now to go back to talking about the impact, Joe, um, what this actually looks like in real life. Tell us the story of Zaran Moody. 
Yeah. So Zaran Moody was arrested in um, 2016. 17. Um, 17, I apologize. June 2017 was the murder. There was a murder that, that occurred in a West Side Park. He was later arrested for that. Um, and it looked like his case was going to go to trial um, right before the pandemic. And then all of a sudden, it falls apart. Mm. Um, and then, then, then we lose one judge to an election, then another judge. Um, now we're on our third judge on this case. Um, and for him, and we've talked to him, and he talks about how depressing it is. His attorney has complained in open court, listen, my client is just suffering from depression yeah. over and over and over again for this. And that's one aspect. We, we, we've, he recently, according to the jail records, threw himself down a flight of stairs, right? Because, you know, he just said he was just, he just said he just scribbled on the jail log because they'll ask and they'll ask the last detainees basically mm-hmm. what happened. He said, you know, it was self-harm. Um, on the other end of that case is a grieving mother, right? Um, her son was just about to graduate from college. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's after a, a pickup game of basketball, walking with friends, and all of a sudden he's shot, shot in the head. And she's left trying to figure out what happened, and she's hoping for justice, and and she can't get it year after year after year. Yeah, Megan, pick up where, where Joe left off. Tell us about Corniki Bourne's story. I mean, because she's been dragged to the courthouse dozens of times as well. So this has got to be having an incredible impact on her. Yeah, and I was I was very gratified that she, you know, was as candid with us about the effects of, of all of this on her. Um, you know, what she said was that at first it was almost like, you know, that moment in a movie where a bomb goes off and you don't totally hear anything, right? You, your brain kind of freezes. You're not processing what's happening in court mm-hmm. because you're seeing these people who are accused of your son's murder. It's very overwhelming. Um, but after... I mean, six years of attending these court hearings, that kind of wears off as you get used to the process, right? And what she's left with now is not so much that numbness, but, um, you know, a frustration and an anger that this doesn't seem to have gotten anywhere after so many fits and starts. Yet she keeps showing up, she says, right? What she told me was that, you know, she wants to be the, the face of her baby. This was her only child who was killed, and she feels an obligation to go and and be the face of her son. And Joe, we got to touch on the the cost of housing these inmates in jail as they await trial, right? It's it's increased substantially over the past decade. Yeah. Now we're at an average of $240 a day to house an inmate. And obviously- That's how much it's costing taxpayers. How much it's costing, yeah, Cook County taxpayers. And then the way it works is that when someone is jailed before trial, the county pays that to house that person in its jail. If someone is convicted, the state system pays it when they go to prison. And yeah, what we found is, you know, in crunching the numbers, we're talking, when you look at everybody who was accused of first-degree murder and everybody who stayed beyond the two years that the court's goal is, we're talking $315 million over the past decade. You're right. In many cases, the cost of housing a person accused of murder in jail is the same or more than what a house costs on the outside. Exactly. I can't wrap my mind around that. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. What needs to change, Megan? I mean, and could the mayor of Chicago play a role? Well, you know, I think every every entity, every bureaucracy that touches the system will have to play a role, right? I mean, what I, I'm hoping we get across in this investigation is this goes so far beyond 
individual players or even individual offices. I mean, this uh, touches so many different entities around the city, around the county. Uh, you know, there needs to be some way to get them all together and talking openly in good faith about the ways to fix the root causes of these delays. Yeah. So, and I, you know, I, I think what we what nobody would want to see is kind of an assembly line, you know, move you through the justice system, call it good, right? Like speed for the sake of speed is not necessarily going to be justice. Mm-hmm. But we have identified all of these failures in the process itself that um that's not justice either. So this isn't strictly an issue with with Cook County, Joe. Um, no, with, with there's all the players, right? Yeah. So anybody who who has a hand in the justice system has a hand in this, right? Um, and I think the challenge is, do they make it a priority, right? Um, and does CPD make it a priority to get their reports done in time? It sounds pretty simple, and it sounds kind of boring. It's not very exciting, you know. This isn't law and order when you're turning in reports, right? So, right, right. Uh, but uh, but it's critical, right? That they because if this, the sooner they get all their reports in, all the videos, everything, and the prosecutor, the sooner these other processes can start. Yeah. So it's that kind of priority setting by each agency that could make a difference. We've been speaking with Chicago Tribune reporters Joe Marr and Megan Cropot. You can read their latest reporting on this story. It's at chicagotribune.com. We're also tweeting out a link for you. Joe and Megan, thank you so much. Thank you very much for having us. That episode of the Reset Podcast was produced by Linnea Dominic, Meha Ahmed, and Dan Tucker. And it was edited by Ethan Schwab. There are lots more ways to connect with Reset than just the podcast. If you like what you're hearing, check out our Chicago News Recap, which live streams on YouTube every Friday. We catch up on big investigations like these at a roundtable with the city's top reporters. Thanks for listening to the pod. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. I'll catch you again soon. Reset.